Hello. So do we have Courtney Clary on? Hi, yes. Great. So this How are you? Great. This is, so you're, I'm calling you um, in, from Australia. Where are you in Australia? Uh, yeah, I'm in Brisbane at the moment, yeah, so East Coast. Oh, cool. Well, it's just exciting to be able to do this. I talked to some other artists around the world previously from Tokyo and the Netherlands, so it's great to be able to oh, wow. use yeah, this. Cool. Um, yeah, you're the second cl- classical musician to be on the on the program. We actually, a couple months ago, we talked to a classical harpist named oh, Dor- nice. Doreen Marseille from the Netherlands. So oh, we, cool. we're always trying to increase um, all the types of musicians that we talk to. Uh-huh. So um, we, I sent you the questions, but I, I was looking over your um, your background, and I just wanted to kind of point out: um, Are you are, because of the coronavirus? Are you still doing your scholarship at Juilliard? Or are you? Um, yeah. So actually, I graduated from Juilliard in May, so I actually had to have my graduation ceremony and my recital in my living room at home here. So um, yeah, I mean the scholarships and everything. They were for the duration of the degree, but I've actually just finished it. So well, that's cool. Yeah, because I was looking. Yeah, I was wondering how that worked out because of the coronavirus. If there were any updates to that. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I had to leave New York in about March. So the last sort of semester was all online for me. And then the other thing that's really kind of notable is, like in 2017, you played for the the, uh, the Queen. Um, it did yes, West, Westminster Abbey, um, and that that's that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I mean that led to a lot of other opportunities. It was great to be broadcast on the BBC, um, and then I yeah. got to play for her again uh, the following year for the Commonwealth. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah at so Buckingham Palace. That was yeah, so. very cool. No, I think that as a, as the type of musician you are, that's that's a big gig. You know, I'm always talking to you know, indie rock bands and alternative rock bands and they think they've made it if they play like Radio City or they play the mm. Viper Room or CBGBs or something. But, you know, in, in your your world, playing places like that is a totally different type of set. Yeah, like I mean, Lincoln, it's a little bit Lincoln different Center. for us with, yeah. with those huge <laughs> venues because often acoustic instruments won't um, suit those big pop venues. But yeah, for us, Westminster Abbey and Buckingham Palace, yeah, definitely good venues yeah. for us. Yeah, and the Lincoln Center, too. I see that you've done that. Uh, Yes, of course, because Juilliard is sort of right next to it. So we have a lot of concerts there. Yeah, so I'll just kind of get back to our standard questions that we always talk to musicians. We typically, our our broadcast is 90% musicians, and then we talk to other creative-type people. Mm -hmm. Um, But we always ask the question, when did you first get into music and what age? And what drew you to classical instruments in this age of like so many people who are musicians aren't really making that choice what drew you to classical music and the violin yeah so basically um, my mom is a professional clarinet player Um, she was in the um, Australian contemporary ensemble called Perihelion they have a lot of albums if you want to go check them out Um, but basically I grew up sitting on the floor of her rehearsals and I pointed at the viola player and I said I want to play that and of course, my mum got me a violin um, and I was about three years old. So I started lessons yeah, from the age of three and then continued all through school. Um, yeah, there hasn't really been a point in my life where I've wanted to do anything else. So, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. I started as a clarinet player, but as a as a somebody wanted to be a singer songwriter, or you know, I, I tended to well, clarinet is not really a, a good writing instrument. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I switched to like pianos and organs and keyboards. Oh, but, nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah. So that's that's interesting. So you've been on that on that uh, track at a very young age. Yes. And um, well, I'm hearing a little keyboard clicking or something. Yeah. Or, or... No, I'm not typing. There's just a bit of a um, like, a, like sound on the the line. I think it's just like a crackling sound. Yeah, it sometimes happens on international stuff for some reason. Yeah, it's no. I'm not actually typing anything. <laughs> But okay, I can I just hear that as well. Sure. Actually, it seems to have maybe stopped a little bit. Yeah, it kind of goes and, you know, let me see if I, if I get some that fixes it. No, yeah, I think it's just a signal sometimes. Um, so you've been in that classical zone in, in terms of working with orchestras and doing solo work and quartets. Yeah. So what, what's your, you know, you knew you had a talent for the, the instrument, or did you have to really... Well, you selected the the violin, but did you ever make a, a choice to like change instruments, or you just always stuck with the violin? Um, it's always been violin. I did do a bit of piano um in high school, and I I was pretty good at it. But it gets to a point where you don't have a lot of time to practice both. To be really good at mm-hmm. one instrument, you sort of have to be putting in loads of hours. And um, yeah, I I chose to keep going with violin and not piano at that point um interestingly at Juilliard they do make every grad student I think and undergraduate student as well play piano for four semesters or depending on your your level to begin with but um for is that just about is is that just about learning music theory and learning composition is that part of that yeah so basically it's for score reading um being able to learn different clefs and learning piano is the best way to do that so they make you do that um i was pretty terrible at it because i hadn't played the piano for a long time since probably my second last year of high school so yes it was a little refresher for me so that's interesting, yeah, because like, um, you know, piano is, is kind of like, it's like a writing instrument, you know, it's it's more for like guys who are writing, you know, songwriters love acoustic guitars and pianos. Mm-hmm. It, it gives you like the full breath of what you need to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting, like if you're on a clarinet or you're on a, a violin, you know, you don't have to know that bass part. Um, <laughs> I mean, as much, you know, know, both, yes no, maybe think... you do. Yeah, I, I would argue that you definitely do, particularly um, if you're going to play with an orchestra or, or even things like solo Bach that don't have any accompaniment. It's really important if you're learning phrasing and you're making an overall artistic vision for a piece that you do have that underlying harmonic knowledge. So it's much easier to build a phrase and, um, yeah, and then sort of have this musical scope if you have that harmonic understanding um, even when I've been studying Bach, teachers will often make you play a bass line along to the to the Bach Petita or the Sonata. So oh, yeah, it is actually really important. Yeah, I, I, that's why I kind of switched from clarinet to, to piano in the first place. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's definitely, it, it gives you that harmonic understanding. So, so in, in your... In your training that you went through at Juilliard, what was your focus just to become the best um, uh, violinist? Or did you want to get into a broader arranging and songwriting and, you know, conducting? What, what's the direction that you want to go? 
Yeah, so I mean, my my degree was in just violin performance, and there are a lot of incredible violinists at Juilliard. They can play very loudly and very quickly. They can play very impressive repertoire. But for me, I do like to have a broader, um, you know, array of musical abilities, not so much in songwriting and composition, but um, more in the sense that I, I really enjoy contemporary music and collaborating with composers and um, other musicians oh. and, and new music. I mean, we have conservatoires, we're conserving old music, but at the same time, I think new music is really important. So I'm actually That's in the process of... Um, a PhD application, and it's about um, a collaborative compositional process. So that's what the last classical musician I talked to was a harpist from the mm-hmm. Netherlands, and she was very much into, um, you know, going and, and working with, you know, not, not people within the classical genre. She was working with, you know, other genres like electronica and and pop and, and rock bands and, and it was interesting. Oh uh, that, yeah, that's really cool. That that there I keep on running into more I mean I've run into maybe four people I've interviewed in the last couple of months. There are classical musicians that have been integrating classical, you know, classical genre with other musical genres. Mm-hmm. Which which is really cool. Cause I saw you on Instagram and I was wondering, okay, you know, how many classical musicians are gonna be on Instagram? Uh, so are you actually trying to maybe navigate that to get into a, a wider area? And it seems like you are. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so did, did you find any resistance in, in the way that you are, the, the people that you work with in your genre? Are, are they purist? You know, like folk musicians tend to be very <laughs> pure. And they, they, they like, I don't want to hear any electric guitar at all. They just, <laughs> yep. they, they just want to stick to playing you know, traditional folk or Americana, and if you try to do something else, then they'll kind of yell at you like they did yell at Bob Dylan back mm-hmm. in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, look, a lot of classical musicians are really purist, and they don't want to know about contemporary music. They get a little bit afraid of atonality. I think they're afraid of change, um, which is kind of stopping progress for the sake of progress. Like, it, it seems a little counterintuitive to me, and this is why classical music is a dying art form, because... People think it's this um, really elitist art form, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it can be accessible and it can be progressive and it can, you know, it can be a lot of things. We can still use classical instruments to play contemporary music. And um, yeah, I think people need to approach contemporary music with a bit more of an open mind um, and, and instead of listening to it with what they're expecting it to sound like just listen to it for what it is and then maybe you'll have a better appreciation um yeah well i've always been in the experimentation i'm, I'm a, a big devotee of progressive electronic music mm-hmm. or progressive rock and you know so i was into sun Ra because sun Ra was one of the first you know american jazz bands to use a moat mm. and and that was kind of really radical to use a synthesizer in jazz and in the late 50s they were one of the first bands to do it and that always inspired me, and I'm, I'm a heavy synthesizer user to the point of like analog synth, which is my mm. own thing. But the idea of it is like the experimentation that's being done with modular synths and analog and, you know, all kinds of interesting electronic capabilities. You know, different genres come to people in my genre looking for collaboration. Um, I'm so some- sorry, somebody's just knocked on my front door. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. oh no, it's just a delivery. So sorry, they've they've <laughs> left now. They've just dropped something off. 
But it's just interesting. I think that the kind of today's music seems to be a, a, a lot of experimentation and cross genre. Mm. So it's interesting to hear that, that within your genre, there's a lot of people. Um, I guess, like I've seen it even within rock. You know, there's a traditional American rock band, and they don't want to go beyond, you know, Tom Petty or Led Zeppelin. And then mm-hmm. you see where that's going; it's not really going anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the other thing to, with um, yeah. classical contemporary music, I think a lot of musicians are afraid of it because it's really hard. You know, if a composer writes a really complex rhythm or something that isn't easy to hear in your ear before you have to play it. Um, people find that really challenging and they don't want to take that on. Um, you know, they want to, they want to play it safe in the tonal and rhythmic departments. So, so, so is, as, as a performance um, oriented musician, your goal now you're going to, you're going for your PhD and you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, mixing genres. So your long range goal is to, is to maybe work on full compositions as a, as, as a writer. Or to be more of a performer? Um, definitely more on the performance side. So the PhD will be collaborating with um, already established composers. But what I found a lot of the time is if I receive a new piece, there are some things that don't work so well for the instrument or for that for me as a performer or, you know, things that could have been better from the beginning if, you know, the performer was involved from the very first steps. So the PhD will be examining that collaborative process and discovering what uh, it can be better in a composition and if that the performance and recording outcomes benefit from that collaboration. Yeah, it's interesting because when I talk to bands a lot of times, musicians, they might not be like the writer of the song, but but mm-hmm. like if you're if you're like a bass player and you have a a guy, a guy is with a piano player and he gives you the song, right? The yeah. bass player tends to change that part because that's their instrument. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, do you find that in your in your genre as the classical? If you're given a written piece of music, but you find a better way to do it, are you allowed to kind of rewrite it, or you have to play it exactly as you get it? Um, usually, you're meant to play it exactly as you get it, especially with old music. You know, you wouldn't dare change something in a Beethoven or a Brahms sonata. But generally, with living composers. You can email them and say, oh, I'm not sure what you meant by this, or I think it would be a little better. I mean, if they're a really famous composer, you probably wouldn't tell them they need to correct their own piece. But with my composer friends, it's definitely great to call them and say, oh, I think it'd be really cool if we change this part, um, you know, an octave higher, or we change that technique. Um, Yeah, so it's a really interesting process. Yeah, so I guess if you're with playing a traditional piece, Bach, Beethoven, Chopin, you're playing something like that. You got like the the, the heart of it. I guess the, I guess I, I I guess I'm trying to understand when the conductor takes a piece, they take liberties with it. I guess to a certain degree in terms of the feel. So mm-hmm. does that does that kind of translate to they're they're still kind of directing all the musicians though. Yeah, so their their job is to interpret, yeah, they're interpreting the score as they think the composer would have wanted it or they're bringing that emotional element because a lot of the time, um, you know, certain harmonies change in an orchestral score and they do need time to register and if you you give time and space to those, it can be a really meaningful and emotional performance and the conductor can facilitate that really well. but in terms of notation, they really, they will, I've never uh, experienced a conductor change anything. Okay, so it's more the, the spacing of the notes, but not changing the notes. 
Yes, exactly. Okay, so it's kind of giving it a little, like, like even in the mix with electronic music, sometimes we don't do as many overdubs. Um, right. They kind of leave a very sparse, kind of like Prince, very kind of sparse composition. Yeah, where may, like but might not put a bass line in, right, to see a drum machine and leave it sounding like a demo. Just yeah, because exactly. you want to let have that space between the notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit like how you also might add envelopes and, um, yeah, different textures and that kind of thing. The conductor. Yeah, play with your filter, like a low-pass filter or a high-pass yeah, filter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Play with the, you know, the tactic case, sustain, release, or use, use a mm-hmm. random voltage generator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so know. we can do all of those things on our instruments, and the conductor can indicate where we need to do those things. That's interesting because, like, there are some aspects of classical music that synthesis that we try to replicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're always trying to replicate big orchestral sounds. Yeah. On, on our synths, we get these big polyphonic or unlimited polyphony synthesizers that allow us to take like a Steinway or like an old German piano or try to sample a really good violin from a certain year to, to get that sound, but we're trying to recreate it rather than actually like having a musician play it. We're trying to think about how well, how would I play that on a on a synthesizer or a MIDI controller. Mm. And I'm not a violinist, but I'm trying to get that feel. Yeah, I'm definitely. Trying to imitate another per another instrument. <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool to do that when it, it clearly sounds like it's supposed to sound synthesized, but a lot of the time I, I hear fake violins, you know, in T V mm. soundtracks and I'm like, ah, oh. Yeah, Didn't you have just gotten violence. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I'm trying to do like more like Keith Emerson, or right. like stuff like that. You know, you know, stuff like or Tangerine Dream bands like that. You know, mm, yeah. guys like Thunrod Davis. No, I like think that. that sounds really cool. Yeah, that's the stuff I'm kind of getting at. But yeah, have you ever, have ever thought of like um, collaborating with jazz band or progressive jazz or like fusion bands or is that like outside your zone? Um, jazz, I love jazz. I always have jazz music on in my home, but the level to which they improvise and are so intuitive, I, it just frightens me a little bit. Um, a friend of mine, Jason, who's a brilliant pianist, we used to improvise a lot together, but without anybody listening. And it's a whole different ball game if you're going to do that in front of an audience or record it. Um, and I don't really have that much experience with doing it. I mean, I wish I could play like... Yehudi Menuhin and Django Reinhardt and you know um but no it's not really my area of expertise unfortunately <laughs> just because the rigor of always you know following the written uh, performance of the classical kind of genre kind of has you locked in a little bit to that yeah I mean with what I do there isn't a whole lot of improvisation um yeah it's usually just written out and anything that is improvised is usually for recordings layered um and it's more soundscapes and that kind of thing for effects later on it's not later uh, on you can, you can do that but the main the main melody is always kind of yeah pre-controlled yeah i mean that's interesting because a lot of like i'm i'm a big blues guy you know i'm into the blues and jazz Mm-hmm. And, you know, that it's always been somewhat, you know, within African-American tradition, it's kind of this kind of feel-based music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, funk and fusion are all kind of feel-based. They have, like, technical roots about how you should do it, but then there's a, a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. So where, where are you going to go? And that's always appealed to me as a musician that's kind of an improvisational musician. But 
it's interesting that you kind of were, were felt a little fear in that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's because I haven't done it from an early age. I think I'm so comfortable with my current genre because I've just done it for 20, oh gosh, 24 years. Um, but yeah, improv is, is quite new to me. So. Who knows? Maybe in another 20 years, I'll be comfortable with that. <laughs> That's interesting. And a lot of people would think that classical musicians are such, um, that you have such capability. You can sight read, that you have mm-hmm. a really high technical capability on your instruments. They, I guess some people assume that you're comfortable just playing. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very interesting. I know a lot of classical musicians who aren't comfortable <laughs> doing that as well. So, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's really cool. The one by well, is cool, but I mean, but it's an interesting thing to think about because it's like mm-hmm. perception and reality. It's like if mm-hmm. you look at like a studio musician, like a studio musician that can sight read, you know, if you get a, a, a regular rock band, a lot of them just read charts, you know, mm-hmm. they, don't, they can't fully sight read. But if you yeah. get a, like a, a full studio musician working for like Motown or Stax or something, they can, they can read everything. Yeah, on my sight reading game, not going to lie, it's pretty strong, but charts, yeah, yeah. Uh, not so much. <laughs> if you give me the chords, then yeah, I can work within that, but yeah, mm. notes, I can sight read no problem. Yeah, a lot of bands are kind of feel or charts, you know, just yep. kind of all that, but then they, 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 they get a little intimidated when they find somebody can fully sight read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're like, well, because I can't really, you know, they're going to like, well, just, just show me it and they can pick it up. Yeah. You know, a lot of musicians I deal with, you know, they, if you play them something, they'll pick it up and they'll hear it and they can immediately play by ear, immediately kind of feel into the groove mm-hmm. and, and pick it up. But it's, it's always interesting to get a little intimidated in, in, in the opposite way that you are. Uh, yeah. In the, the, if somebody told me the sight reader, like, oh, well, I can't really do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So you always wonder, like, where, where somebody's strength, in some cases, is, is, is you know, not, not exactly what you thought it was. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of your influences and reference points, who are your favorite um, musical influences and reference points in your music? I guess because you don't write as much of your own music, but who are your, your primary influences? Well, in terms of um, other violinists, Definitely Perlman. He's a he's a classic. I've loved him since I was a little kid. Um, I also really love Hilary Hahn. A lot of people think she's really boring, but I actually just think people aren't listening hard enough to her nuance and her precision is just incredible. Um, but in terms of other artists, I mean, I'm it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, but I'm really obsessed with Ariana Grande. Honestly, wow. she, her, she is an incredible singer, and her intonation. I've I've been to her concerts twice now. And I don't know how she manages to sing so perfectly in tune. It's really, really impressive. So you, you're impressed um, with her voice. Yeah, her voice is incredible. And just her technique and just, you know, the way she's able to display that virtuosity in, in pop music. And, you know, she just does what she wants and people love it. And I, I really admire that um, in a musical sense. Um, and I try to sort of channel that in my own output Um in terms of contemporary music, you know, I, I record something and, you know, maybe people won't like this, but this is what I wanted to do today. So I'm putting that out there. Um, That's yeah, so do you find that you're drawn to vocal vocalists as inspiration, as a, as a, as a you know, violinist? Do you, 
are you listening to that melody and the vocal to kind of be inspired? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the time we play a really melodic line and I think, how would a singer sing this? You know, it's going to be smooth. It's going to be soaring and lyrical. Whereas a lot of the time we let violin technique get in the way of that melodic line. So I try to keep the phrase um, as, as lyrical as possible. So definitely, yeah. That's interesting. They, you, as a musician, you would kind of key in on the vocal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the thing. Well, I've, I've heard you know what saxophone players in like jazz bands um, or fusion bands they tend to kind of follow like a, a, a vocal uh, style. They kind of represent what they're doing, and I've, I've seen guitar players actually emulate saxophone players. Oh wow! Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I've I've seen that before. That's really cool. Yeah, well, Hend- Hendrix were kind of famous for trying to mimic Coltrane. Mm, you know, yeah. In some ways, if you listen to Hendrix, you can kind of hear where he's doing some of his um his style is influenced by jazz saxophone phrase. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, that's why it sounds so different because it's not what a typical guitar player would do. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to actually emulate a horn. Oh, wow, wind, yeah. Wind, which gives it a totally different feel than any other rock you'd ever hear. And it's like, why is it going that way? Also, because he was left-handed and using his thumb to like, do chords and notes at the same time, um, which was a different style that people tried to do. And, but, yeah, it's always interesting to hear where musicians, you know, get their inspiration from and yeah. how, they, how they, they process it into their own work. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So, so I guess, like, are you writing a lot of your own stuff now? You're primarily a performance. You always um, take a lot of work from from other writers. But do you actually sit down and write anything of your own work? No, I I'm not a composer. I mean, I've attempted composition in the past, but I'll I'll get you know ten bars into a composition and think, oh, I've heard that somewhere before, and I've just like subconsciously stolen it from somewhere um so no i'm primarily a performer um i play other people's music and collaborate with them so so that's your focus in trying to um you know to, to broaden your collaboration to not just be within the classical genre to work with other people and mm. bring your performance capabilities to people's work yeah that's that's definitely my aim and what i've been doing mostly for the last few years so yeah so under the coronavirus, based in this time, how have you been able to, you know, collaborate or, or work on people's work? Do you have the capability at home if you're given a piece of music to, to put it down or you have to go to a studio to do that? Um, I mean, generally at this stage, if I'm collaborating on a composition, it won't be in the stage yet where I want to record it. Um, so it is definitely possible to collaborate. Um, you know, via email, by phone. I've had a lot of Zoom <laughs> conversations with mm-hmm. people. Um, the first part of coronavirus, obviously, was just spent finishing off my master's for Juilliard. But I did actually have to record some contemporary music for um, various Juilliard projects. Um, now, yeah, it, it is really, really hard without the performances and that opportunity to sort of present ideas even just to a small audience in your home, it's it's still really difficult. But um, yeah, I have tried my best to keep the music going during Corona. So the, as a classical musician, 
I'm assuming you use like mic, you know, microphones and maybe a daughter recorder or do you, if you're working at home, how would you, how do you work? Like a t- typical rock band would use like Pro Tools or FL Studio mm. and use their Mac and then you'll know, have a bunch of microphones tied through a MIDI interface device. But with a classical musician, I would assume you got the mic, things like a drummer has to mic drums. You yeah, got mic. so I have a pretty good microphone. It's a Zoom H6. Um, okay, has I know what that is. Different... Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's actually really great um, for violin concerts. If I'm doing a recording of a concert at home, which is what I've been doing recently, um, I put the Zoom um, kind of far away in the room. Violins tend to sound a bit better further away rather than further up close away. because you get a lot of... Um, uh, extraneous noise like the bow on the string, um, some scratchy sounds that aren't really contributing to the overall aesthetic. So that's been really good. I also have two DSLR Canon cameras which I use for the video recording and then video I recording. splice that together later. Um, in terms oh, of sure. sound, I don't edit a lot. Um, usually if the room is really dry, I might add a little reverb or conversely, if I've been recording in a church and it's really um, resonant, I'll have to mm-hmm. dial that back um, just so that you can hear everything clearly. But yeah, that's been working pretty well at the moment. I do have um, Ableton, but I'm terrible at using it. So <laughs> yeah, but it's not often that I do splice recordings um, myself, like if I'm going to do a commercial recording, there'll be an engineer that does that. So you just do it on your Zoom and then give them the WAV file and then they'll, they'll do the recording engineer will just figure out how to put it in? Yeah, yeah. Video. I mean, if I'm doing a video, I can put it together myself for a lot of assessments and auditions and stuff. You can't edit. It's against the rules. Okay, um, you got to do it just straight. Yeah, so just one take. So I'm used to having to nail it in one go. That's kind of cool because I'm kind of um, a big uh, p- proponent of o- kind of old school recording. I I, mm-hmm. I don't use a DAW. I use hardware recorders. Uh huh. Um, because I have like analog sense, and my my whole point is if I take something in the main stage or Ableton, then I I tend to go back and try to fix it. And I, yeah. I'm more of a kind of guy. I'd rather be more, more spontaneous and just get it right. And just have that feeling at that moment. Yeah, and definitely. With, I mean, and with analog they're... synths, they're kind of like acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. So you want to capture them point in time, and you know that's what it is at that point. Mm. And, and I'd rather not go and try to futz with it. I'd rather just like put it down, and then so it's it's somewhat similar to what you're doing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're performers. You know, people want to come and see what you did in that moment, rather than perfecting every little tiny aspect. So what do you think about that in the music industry? There's so many modern musicians that spend, I would say that there's a lot of musicians that maybe are more producers than musicians, that they they spend so much time on the grid within Ableton or Pro Tools that I don't know if they're at the musical capability of what the musicians were doing in the 70s and the 80s, um, just because they had to go to a studio and get put it down. Yeah. And now they don't spend as much time trying to put it down as they're perfecting the studio craft. Yeah, so I mean, performing and recording are very different mediums, and I think they're both fantastic. Like, I love recording because you can convey your art to the audience exactly how you had imagined it. I think it's quite an underestimated medium in that sense. I don't think people quite appreciate how many times people might do one little thing to get it exactly how they wanted it. But at the same time, 
I think people have to realise. I mean, it's a bit like seeing Photoshop in, in magazines. People have to realise that it's, yeah. you, you know, it's not fabricated, so to speak, but it's, you know, it's been edited and it's, you know, perfect. Well, it kind of even goes back to George Martin. I saw a documentary called Produced by George Martin. And he had a statement about the Beatles. He said what he wanted to bring to the Beatles was this idea that yeah, I'm not just I'm not just gonna record the band like they were playing live in Berlin. I'm actually gonna interpret the music like a painter interprets their painting, right? So I'm not just gonna do a photo of exactly the way nature looks. I'm gonna interpret nature. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, he said yeah, he was gonna interpret what John Paul Ringo. And you know the, the guys were doing, and actually do it more like a sound painting, which means you're going to use the studio to enhance that reality and make that sound like more than what it could be in the in the real world. Yeah, definitely. So sometimes when I collaborate with composers, um, I mean, I briefly mentioned it before, but recording extended techniques to do things like soundscapes and textural effects and that kind of thing. So I think that's really, really cool. And that's not utilized enough in creative recording. Um, A lot of people just record exactly what's on the page. And yeah, we should do that with old music. But I think that's definitely a medium we can utilize more in terms of contemporary composition is is recording and interpreting sounds and then manipulating them to, you know, create new sound worlds that we haven't necessarily heard before. Yeah, it's like the idea of like found sounds or granular synthesis is a big mm-hmm. new thing in synthesis where we we do a field recording, bring it into a granular synthesizer, and you can say you, like, you could break a glass, mm-hmm. capture it as a sample, bring it into a granular synthesizer, and then actually play it polyphonically on the whole 61 key keyback. Mm-hmm. And so you could take that, that sound from nature and actually play it as a chord. Yeah, and then, manip- and then manipulate it, and so then you create whole new tones out of just field recordings. Yeah, I think that's that you can actually manipulate on a synthesizer. Yeah, and and then, and then you, you create a whole new, re- yeah, whole new reality. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like you're 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 thinking of you know. It seems like in your future things that you're going to work on and collaborating with, you seem to be open to that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really useful and really exciting. Um, you know, people are used to hearing a violin, but how else can we use the violin to make new sounds? Yeah, like if you ran your violin through an ARP 2600 envelope follower mm. and you used the, um, the random voltage generator like Pete Townsend did on Who Are You? He actually mm. took his guitar on the song Who Are You? and he ran it through an ARP 2600 through mm-hmm. the through the, um, the envelope follower and the random voltage generator. And people think it's a synthesizer, but it's actually his guitar going through an ARP 2600. Yeah, nice. Uh, I mean, we've seen composers doing that kind of thing. Even in the 80s, it was it was widely rejected. But Boulez, even in Antem 2, which is a solo violin piece, um, there were a lot of electronics and they were run through like harmonization filters, um, delays and all that kind of stuff. So you can check that piece out. It's really cool. Yeah, I think that's what I think. Well, I think anytime you try to kind of experiment and you take take your 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 signal and you run it through another capability, mm. you know, like a lot of times I'll sample, you know, my own songs and then run them in in what they call like uh, time shifting samplers, where you can mm. take like 
the first note and merge it with the, the, the note in the middle of the piece with the note in the end of the piece and you can kind of fold time and put them on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And when you do stuff like that, you get all these, you know, harmonics and things that you never would have thought you could get. And you play with yes. the subharmonics and you play with the, you know, the polyrhythms and that's how you get to like more complicated, you know, not obvious things that you could do in music. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, I'll we'll see some of that in my recordings coming up as part of this PhD. Uh, do you guys is this polyrhythmic um, concepts? Is that something that's in classical music? Did yeah, guys, definitely. I mean, we. How would you kind of describe like a polyrhythmic piece? Polyrhythmic. I mean, so that sort of stems from cross rhythmic elements. So we've seen that as early as Brahms. He he and Beethoven really coined the three against two to begin okay. with. So you've got three in one part and two in the other, and it has to line up together. But yeah, we see that a lot and in phasing. So something might even take you know five to ten bars to line up again if you've got fives against sevens, um, and it. Juilliard in rhythmic training, they often make us, you know, count or conduct in one time signature and then have to say the polyrhythms over the top. So dividing that into seven, ten, whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something we see a lot, particularly in contemporary music, uh, to achieve certain rhythms um, and rhythmic elements. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using like a mode called um, subharmonicon which actually the whole that whole instrument all it does is polyrhythms and <laughs> subharmonics. <Okay. laughs> that that's what its whole claim to fame is. That's what it's designed to do. <laughs> but but it kind of forces you to think in that way because that's how it operates. It has multiple polyrhythmic <laughs> sequencers that that can run polyrhythms like at the same time. And you can adjust mm-hmm. the time and you can adjust the, the subharmonics. Of, of all of all the oscillators, so you, you have like six oscillators and sub oscillators. You can adjust the subharmonics and then you can adjust the polyrhythms all at once, and then you can kind of hit or miss where you, where you're going with it. Yeah, so it's all kind of feel based. It's kind of a thing where you it's like kind of what what you hear is what you get. Mm-hmm. So you kind of play with the dot controls with an understanding of what it's going to do. And then mm-hmm. you kind of listen to where we get that sweet spot where you say, oh, I got something. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, it's all about experimentation and finding what sounds good and what's new and, you know, what works for you, really. Yeah, it's like, kind of like I, I, I'm, I, I'm probably not advanced enough to kind of know where I want to be. I kind of let, let the machine take me on a trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, exactly. I do appreciate the guys who actually know where they're going before they even hit the dial. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> Yeah, it would take years to learn. I mean, it's basically like learning a new instrument, isn't it? Yeah, it's like that seems to be a big thing now. People are wanting to get into more complicated things, you know, like granular synthesis and subharmonics and mm-hmm. polyrhythms. So you're not just taking a drum machine and running an 808 in the same beat over and over. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you try to do more complicated arrangements. But. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting. I'm always telling people, like, classical music, you really should, get, you know, read up on music theory and, and you know, jazz fusion theory. If, if you're trying to do experimental electronic music, you, you really kind of have to 
look to the past and the future at the same time. <laughs> yep, definitely. I mean, we can always take inspiration for the past, but we're uh, from the past, sorry. And but we're always looking forward as well. So, are are you working on any big big pro, um, projects right now? Any collaborations that you can reveal that you're currently you know um, got going on for the twenty twenty or twenty twenty one? Um, yeah, so aside from this PhD, I mean, I have a few composers lined up. Uh, I still need to confirm those. Um, but in terms of performances, I do, I mean, everything is really up in the air because of COVID. Um, but I do have three recitals coming up at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre in September. Um, I've got a few concertos lined up, but they haven't been published yet. So I don't think I'm allowed to tell you what those are. Uh -oh. um, so, so is that like based on just... think is that based on like COVID being under control, or they think they they're going to be able to do it under like COVID restrictions? Um, well, it's actually just for the next season. So they haven't okay. published the the season brochure yet. Um, okay. So hopefully by then, but by the time that season starts, I I, I will be allowed to perform and there will be an audience there um actually i just did a really exciting collaboration with tom thumb he's an electronic artist and beatboxer and he raps oh, wow. as well um and actually we we realized that we live on the same street through instagram totally oh, crazy wow. so then great. i ended up going around to his place he's got a studio there and um working on some solo violin stuff for an album he recorded with the queensland symphony orchestra so I think that's being released next month, so you can keep an eye out for that one. Is that going to be like on all the streaming services? Um, yeah, it should be. I think he's mostly yeah, Spotify, Apple Music. I, I think so. I'll yeah, if, you, if when that comes out, you know, give us a note, and we can kind of like push it out. Come yeah, on. absolutely. I'll definitely be putting that on my Instagram. Um, you can head to his Instagram too. It's Tom Summer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's he's got quite a lot of followers, actually, like hundred thousand. So, oh, wow. Well, maybe maybe well. I should talk to him, but maybe if he's got time, maybe we should interview him too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Well, that's cool that you're doing that. So, so you were just able to go over to his studio and just put some stuff down. Yeah. Did yeah, he write so... it out for you, or did you kind of just feel it out? Yeah, so he was collaborating with a composer called uh, Gordon Hamilton. So he, he's also Brisbane-based. He's been working with the Queensland Symphony Orchestra as well. Um, and he was able to write those string lines that we then recorded over the top of the track. And they're going to mix that, layer it up, do some cool effects. So, yeah, really excited to hear it. That's cool because I was interested. I was actually watching a documentary on Frank Zappa. And he had a vibraphone player that was, like, classically trained uh, on some of his albums, like Apostrophe. And he had, and he would, the interesting thing with him, he was, um, he would actually conduct full string sections on his records. And he would, he would actually write out all the sheet music. He was a, a full composer. Mm -hmm. so on, unlike most rock musicians, he, he would actually write out all the, the whole, all the sheet music. And, yeah. and, and, and I was in the documentary, he would, they were showing how he was telling the vibraphone. Um, player to do everything, you know, do the triads as just two two note chords, which oh, actually okay. created like the Zappa sound on a vibraphone. Is the mm -hmm. fact that everything instead of being a triad is actually like a just a two um, okay ballet chord. Yeah, 
and and, yeah. and and I was like, wow, that's really interesting that he thought, and he actually wrote it out that way. It wasn't like an accident. He actually knew what it would sound like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, composers kind of cool. have that experience with orchestration and know, know texturally what needs to happen to create those design But the funny effects. thing is, when they, when they asked him how did he learn how to do composing, he said he just went to the library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess enough score study will teach you. <laughs> Which, which I don't know if he was just trying to under underplay what he really had done. Mm. Which some guys like will say, "Well, yeah, I just went to the library," but you know, he might have actually done a little bit more than that. Um, mm. <laughs> so, so the, are you doing anything like online, um, like like unplugged performances because of coronavirus? Have you been invited to do any kind of online uh, collaborations? Yeah, so I've done a couple of online recitals. I actually did one on Tuesday for the Tate Memorial Trust. Um, they've uh, I've had ongoing collaborations with them for the last few years, especially when I was living in the UK. They're an Australian organisation that helps um, Australian artists, you know, study in the UK and put on concerts and that kind of thing. So um, I think there will also be a delayed broadcast or, or it's accessible later um, if you want to see that concert you can head to their website um, cool. and I think I'll probably have some coming up I mean they'll, they'll all be listed on my website but uh, none that I can think of at the moment yeah it's, it's all very sparse in terms of my workload at the moment so you're primarily focusing on your on your education and the collaborations that you are doing yeah, so just working on getting that degree started. I mean, it, it sort of hasn't fully launched yet, but um, yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment. And then just these recitals in September, that's next next in my practice list. Well, it's great to, to talk to another classical musician. We're always trying to bring different musicians' points of view and uh, capabilities to, the, to our audience because um, we don't think we should just focus on one type of music because we're... I'm an overall fan of like all music, so. Um, yeah, me too. So I just want to be able to give my audience every every opportunity to hear any kind of music that's being played that that's really interesting and uh, that I think people should know about. So I, I thought it would be interesting to, to have you on the show. So Courtney, yeah, Clary, thanks so much for having me. It was great yeah, we're to gonna, talk to you as well. We're gonna put this out on eleven podcast platforms. We mm-hmm. are part of Spotify. Um, Anchor FM is a Spotify company. So this, there'll be a Spotify version of this podcast, which will be linked to Instagram. And people Great. will be able to hit the highlight on Instagram. It'll go right to the Spotify version of the podcast. And uh, we're also on Apple, Radio Public, Stitcher, Overcast, and many, many more. Great. Well, great to talk to you. And thanks so much. And looking forward to uh, listening back to it later. Well, thank you. Have a have a good uh, morning. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. You too. Evening. Hey, bye. Evening for you. Bye. Bye.